You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it gives you perspective to see God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Mark chapter 2. I kind of want to continue on something that I said on Easter, and I'll explain that in a second. Let me read the scripture. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. That's a strange phrase. You're not going to see it many times in the Bible. Above Jesus. You won't see that very much in the Bible. You won't see it about sickness. You won't see, you won't see it about shame. You won't see it about anxiety. You won't see it about panic attacks. You won't see it about political parties. So just circle that one because you won't see that above Jesus again. You won't you will only see this one time. So physically speaking, they positioned themselves on, on the roof. And and watch this. A lot of y'all know this Bible story, but this is this is crazy if you stop and think about it. They dug through the roof and lowered the mat that the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. It's heresy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Oh, I 
can't wait to come back to you, verse 8. <laughs> and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has, shout the word, authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home, get out of here, and tell your friends you don't need a ride home. So he got up took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, Ready? We have never seen anything like this. Put that in the chat. We have never seen anything like this. I want to speak to you today about unlearning your limitations. I dabbled in it on Easter, and I want to dive deeper today. So that's, that's my title. Unlearning your limitations. That's the straightforward title. That's the topical title. Here's the saucy title. You need a new roof. Now sit down and let's talk about it. You need a new roof. Because really, limitations are learned, right? And maybe you haven't had kids. They don't know tongues don't go in electrical sockets. They don't know, they don't know anything about anything until they it's kind of like Graham was uh, telling us one time he could beat up Mike Tyson. And um, just the confidence of Graham is something I need y'all to pray about because I kind of think it's like a great gift, and then I kind of think it's like a liability, and I can't figure out which one yet. I mean, the boy wa walked into church today with a mullet, with his head held high, and, and just the, the the confidence, the, the swag of Graham to, to, not, to not care what you think about his mullet. Now, I'm going to get off, I promise, I promise. But um, limitations are, are learned. And the interesting thing about this text is it seems like the, the experience of the people who are experts in the Word of God works against them, and the stupidity of the people who get a miracle. Seems to have a strategic advantage. And I guess that's why I've always liked the passage because in 15 years of building the church, there have been so many times where I've had to try unorthodox things in order to do something for which I had no frame of reference. Now, you may not know this, my dad wasn't a pastor. My dad was a barber. My grandfather was a pastor, but he pastored small churches. When I say small, probably like what? A hundred people would have been on the bigger side. He did 70 churches of 70, 50. I think in Monk's Corner it was the biggest one that was, was about 200 on Easter. Wasn't that big? Am I wrong? Am I off? Okay. So that to me, in my mind, was the biggest church that I had seen. In fact, um, where I was a youth pastor, there were about about the same, about 120 Santee Circle Community Church where Pastor Mickey let me learn to preach. When, when I went to preach one time with Holly, uh, I, was, I was sharing at a church. I can't remember where it was. Calpins, South Carolina? Calpins. Anybody from Calpins on EFAM? Um, and there were, about, there were about 50 people in the, in the church, 
And the woman turned to Holly when I walked up to the pulpit to preach. I was only 18, and we were in college, and we had traveled out here for me to preach. And the woman turned to Holly and said, Is this Stephen's first time preaching in a big church like ours? And we always thought that was so funny. A big church like ours, you know, with 50. And it was. It was for her frame of reference. Right? Um, limitations are learned. By that I mean, uh, you don't really come into the world knowing what you are not supposed to do because you're white or because you're black or because you're male or because you're female or because you're Baptist or because you're Pentecostal. I'd like to offend everybody before I finish this little list. Those things are learned. They are learned. Those are, those, are, those are learned limitations. And here's what I mean. We wrote this song called Rattle last year. And I was showing it to my friend, and they said, Well, you can't play that at your church. Black people won't like it. I didn't say it. Why are y'all looking at me like that? That's what they said. Uh, they said black people don't really like rock and roll. And I, just in my head, I'm like, Have you ever heard of Jimi Hendrix? Chuck Berry? Like, how did you categorize a people group who pioneered a style of music and now you think they don't like, like it? That's your limitation. That's not the limitation of, of a person that you can just categorize. Anyway, y'all look up tight. Let me get back to the Bible verses. In the scriptures, in the scriptures, there's a group of people called the scribes or the teachers of the law, it says here in, in Mark chapter 2. And I have to be unf I have to be honest with you. I've, I've been unfair to this group of people through the years because in, in verse six, where you see them show up, the teachers of the law are the scribes, and I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. But they were sitting there and they were judging Jesus. So I always hated them in the passage. It made me hate them that they would criticize Jesus, who's the Son of God. And at different times in my ministry, I've used this passage. To preach to different needs. Like in some cases, I've used this passage to say that we as the church should be like the four men and bring our friends to Jesus. And then I'd give everybody a little invite card for the next week and I'd say, Now bring your friends back to church. And I'd tell them, Break the roof and, and send them out to go get their friends to Jesus. Bribe them, do whatever you have to do. And that's not a, that's not a bad message. I've also used this passage at times before to talk, to talk about. What it would feel like to be the man on the mat who is getting dropped R Read it again real quick. Show me where he agreed to this idea. Show me where he asked them to take him up on the roof and lower him. Show me where he signed his consent, his legal release. That y'all can drop me in the middle of the no, you won't find it. And I and I've related to that man before because sometimes you feel like you're put in situations that you didn't exactly sign up for. In the passage that I read to you just now, though, I, I felt some sympathy for the scribes this week that I've never felt before. Because physically the doorway was blocked by the crowd, but that's not all that was blocked in the passage. 
These teachers of the law, verse 6, were not the ancient equivalent of internet trolls. These were not unemployed people with nothing better to do than to sit in judgment. And they showed up for a specific purpose in the house that day in Capernaum, Kepharnehum, village of comfort, where Jesus did 22 of his miracles. Only 1,500 people in the town, but he did 22 of the biblical miracles happened in Capernaum. The sad part is, at the end of his ministry, when he went to pronounce his woes and judgments, Capernaum, where he did a majority of his miracles, was on the list of cities that would not repent in spite of all that they had seen. The scribes in Mark chapter 2 were not sitting there just as critics that day. They were sitting as a how could I put this? A correctness committee to make sure that this popular rabbi wasn't teaching something that contradicted the laws that they had given their life to defend and preserve. And I think we need to have a little more understanding when we read the scriptures sometimes of not just what we've thought about the, the people that the Bible talks about. You know, this, this, this teacher of the law group that's sitting there has traveled four days to be in Capernaum from Jerusalem at their, at their own expense to make sure that the people aren't being taught anything that's wrong. They wanted to make sure that this guy wasn't running a cult. And I can get with that. Even back in the early days of the church, I would meet people who were in their 40s because I was in my 20s when I started, and I would ask the people in the 40s, why, in their 40s, which I am now, why did you first come to our church? And they would say, my kids came over, and I had to follow them to make sure you weren't crazy. And then I would say, well, was I? And they'd say, yeah, but the good kind. You're the kind of crazy I like. I like your kind of crazy. And, um, and then they stay. But, but they came over, and I thought they were judging me. No, no, no. They were protecting something precious to them. My father-in-law put me through so much to marry Holly. And oh, I didn't like him very much for a little while. But sometimes I look at Abby. And I'm like, I, I bet I will build an emotional moat for any squire that would dare to ask her hand. I understand. It was precious. Reading the scripture this week, I understood that there are two roofs in Mark chapter 2. The, 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 the function of a roof. Remember, it said that they, they dug through the roof of the house to get the man to Jesus? Let's take a quick audience vote. Is a roof on your house a good thing to have in case of inclement weather? Y'all are so used to me flipping stuff in my sermons, you're kind of like hesitant about saying it's a good thing, right? Because it keeps something out that can damage what's on the inside. So when I studied about the scribes this week, I was amazed to find that the function they served was originally to preserve something that was very important to the people of God. Now you've got to know this or you won't understand why. This is what Jesus said. 
Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Well, why were they thinking these things in their heart? Why were they threatened by a prophet who would say, I forgive your sin, an exclusive right of God alone? Why were they thinking these things in their heart? You have to understand what they were protecting, and in order to stand, understand what they were protecting, you have to understand where they had been in Babylon where God's people had been taken as captives. And see, the scribes were specially trained to record the pronouncements and the legal decrees and the events and make sure to keep a record. But in Babylon, the customs of Babylon were different than God's chosen people had ever experienced before. And in Babylon is where the scribes began to develop the oral traditions surrounding the laws of Moses so that God's people would not forget who they were. They were specially suited to do it because they were trained in recording the tradition. The only reason God's people even knew who they were when they came out of Babylon was because of the scribes. Now Jesus, who is what the Bible calls the express image of God to show us what God is really like, shows up to fulfill the messianic prophecies about him, to save his people from their sin, and the scribes, verse 6, the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's not supposed to do this. You can't do that. That's not how this works. At the same time that they're thinking this, the debris is still falling through the ceiling from where four rednecks, I'm using my imagination about what kind of guys would have done this, have just moved through every excuse. Now, this is a true, this is a true statement. See if God's Spirit verifies what I'm about to say to you. If this man would have been dependent on a lot of us, the moment we would have seen the crowd, he would have gone back home the exact same way he came. I promise you, most of us, I don't want to say most of us, I don't want to talk about you. For me, I'm really quick to give up and assume something isn't God's will when I can't immediately see a way in. And so now we're in a passage where these scribes, these teachers of the law, who have preserved the identity of God's people, they weren't villains. Really, they were heroes. But what happened over time was the oral tradition became more important than the truth. Did you ever play the telephone game? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where, where I tell you something and you tell them something, and by the time it gets all the way around, everybody has rabies and everybody's gonna die, and it's a crazy thing when it gets passed down. And the thing about Jesus that maybe doesn't always get mentioned when we preach about him is that he reveals to us that our God is a confrontational God. God is confrontational. And your first thought about that might be, no, God is, God is a comforter. He's a good, good father. It's who he is, Stephen. It's who he is. 
That's who he is. <laughs> and he is. Uh, one scripture says that he comforts us with the comfort so we can comfort others with the same comfort by which we've been comforted. The Bible also says that God comforts the downcast. That's something that Paul said when he was going through a lot of conflicts. He does comfort the downcast. He speaks words of reassurance to you when everybody else is speaking words of condemnation to you. Be sure of it. But the same God that comforts the downcast also confronts the dysfunctional. And he loves you too much to leave you in something that is limiting you. He's a confrontational God. I know that thinking of God as confrontational may violate our perception of him as it was handed down to us, but God is very confrontational. Right? God, God will get up in the face of anything that will keep you from being all that he created you to be. Now, before you take this as permission to just like go off on somebody and say you're being like Jesus, that's, that's not the point of this lesson. The point of the lesson is for you to realize that God will break through any of the beliefs that you've developed about you, about him, or about others. He's not scared to do that. So if it means going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, and he has to send frogs and turn the Nile into blood, and, and if God has to send flies and locusts and plagues, even if God has to kill off the firstborn of Egypt, he will see to it that his people are really free because he's a confrontational God. If it means he has to put you in a lion's den and shut the mouth of the lion to show Nebuchadnezzar that he is the great God and there is none above him, he'll do that. He's not a conflict-avoiding God. And a lot of us never experience the growth because we will never face the conflict. One thing I love about Holly is when that switch flips and she turns from sweet Holly, be Mrs. Better Half Holly, smiling Holly that y'all know and love and subscribe to her book club. But Holly, let me tell you something about Holly. Let me tell you a story about Holly. The other day she was on, this was right at Christmas time, she was on with customer service. She is the most polite person. She's not nasty. She's not mean. She's balanced. She's even. She can diffuse. But at a certain point, I know y'all have y'all have a perspective of, of Holly, right? She's just so, 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 and she is usually. On this phone call, the lady, the customer service rep, uh, wouldn't put her through to a supervisor, right? And and so I don't know what Holly said, but at some point the lady said, Ma'am, I'm going to go ahead and transfer you to Escalations. And Holly said, That's exactly where you need to put me, is Escalations. That's the place for me, is Escalations. Escalate me. Holly said that. Holly, I'm, I'm like, Who are you? I know you, but I don't know you. Because when something got in her way, now she's gonna try it the nice way and everything like that, but there comes a time. Now listen, it's okay sometimes for you to have that nice, gentle kind of faith about things in your life, right? It's it's a time just to be like nice and okay. I'm just gonna wait and see how this turns out. But when something really matters to God's heart and your heart, 
This is what I'm trying to say. There comes a time to escalate. There comes a time when people can't do it for you, so you have got to go above the people and go to the one who has all authority, all power. Aren't you glad that God's power doesn't need people's permission to operate? That if God decides to use you in a certain way, you can speak to the supervisor. If people aren't treating you good, you can go to your father and say, do you see how they're treating me? Do you see how their situation is? Do you see how I'm trying? Would you please get involved before I lose my mind and do something I'm going to regret? God will step in. God will confront it. God will tell Pharaoh. God has a mighty hand. God has an outstretched arm. God said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I'm coming down there. Not everybody likes this kind of preaching. It's not comfortable. But when you, when, when, when you have an addiction that's robbing you of the daylight of your life… Yeah. So. As the conflict is escalating, this is one of five stories in Mark's gospel that's showing us the confrontational nature of God. And it's an interesting one because I'll point out a few things to you. When Jesus is arguing with the scribes about the Sabbath, they ask him, Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Right? And he's trying to teach them. The Sabbath is made for man. Man's not made for the Sabbath. You've got this completely out of, out of order. Right? In other words, you have turned a gift into a limitation. When he healed this man on a Sabbath, all they could say is, that's the wrong day to do it. Now, the Sabbath was given to people as a gift, but they turned it into a limit. This is a side note. Don't let your gift become your limitation. Like, don't let something that God gave you in one season of your life to protect you become something in the next season of your life that prevents you. One example? You sure? All right. I got a hundred of these. Like the way the way that we deal with people. Sometimes we learn to deal with people in a certain season of our life as a certain way to survive because we have to. All right? And a lot of times I've been like swinging like like fighting and and I didn't even look up and realize my enemy was gone and I'm still swinging at the air. And so my style of doing things like the 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 best example I can give to you of this from my own life is that the way I've seen myself in certain seasons doesn't apply in other seasons. And God can give you something as a gift in one season. What am I thinking of? We, we wrote this other song that we just put out called Talking to Jesus. Have you heard it? Heard it? Now, so Chris can tell you. The whole time we were writing that song, we wrote that uh, with our friend Brandon Lake, and the whole time we were writing the song, it broke all the rules of a worship song. Because worship songs are supposed to be 
like this. You're supposed to only say about 30 words and just scramble them all around, right? And, 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 we're, and, we're, and we're, we're writing this song, and I'm finding myself saying lyrics like, uh, Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, khaki pants and a polo shirt. Boy, I put up a fight. And I'm thinking, can you say khaki pants in a worship song? Now, there, there's a reason that worship songs are supposed to have a certain focus. The reason is when, when we come in to sing with our church, we want everybody to be able to access it. And, and maybe you didn't wear khaki pants to church, so you're worshiping God. Lord, I love you. I'm talking to Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus. Khaki pants, huh? It pulls you out of it. It's just like, oh, I, th I thought that was my song, but I guess that's not for me. The crazy thing about it was that I found God trying to give us a song about generational faith, but my rules for how God moves in worship were, were trying to restrict the expression that God wanted us to bring. Those rules were, were there for a reason. The scribes were there for a reason, to preserve the identity of God's people. But sometimes what was sent to preserve something begins to prevent something. And I wonder, has that happened in your life? I wonder, do you need new rules? And while we're at it, I wonder, who built your roof to begin with? Like, who set the limit to say, this is what God can do through you and no more? This is what you're gifted at and no more. This is what people from your background, your education, your age, this is what you can do and no more. I was talking to my friend who's 43 the other day, and he was talking like his career was over. And then I told him about the guy who was 59 who reinvented and became a millionaire. So who put that roof on you? Who put the roof on you that if you aren't married by 25, there's something wrong with you? Who put that roof on, on you? Who put the roof on what we think God can do in church that we think that God has to be confined to a building? The irony of my ministry is that everything God has done through me was something that I told him he couldn't do. I'm stubborn. I need the Holy Spirit. I need God's help because I'm so stubborn. Because I have these rules, you know, like um, to online church isn't real. Said me. Now you see why I feel bad for these scribes, these guys I've been preaching about all these years. These scribes, these you know, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, these you know, that was like a Pharisee in me. Is what I'm trying to deal with. It's not the crowd blocking the door that I have to worry about. I, I told I told our team. I said I don't think I don't think church online can be real church, you know, because I've never seen it before. And if you've never seen it before, you believe it can't be real. If you've never seen. A healthy marriage. LB, when we said, verse 12, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The same thing that they said in praise, 
is also the problem. Because we've never seen anything like this before. So this can't be God. This is not the image I had of it. This is not the imagination I had of it. He's not doing the rules we want him to do. It's not, it's not following the rules. And at the same time, Jesus is breaking the rules. The men are breaking a roof. <laughs> and I realized there were two roofs being removed in Mark chapter 2. One was physical. It was Peter's house, by the way. No, it really was. It, it, says, it says when Jesus came to the house in Capernaum, that's the one where they based out of. It was Peter's house. If it would have been John, he'd have kicked those boys off the roof because John had good sense. But Peter was like, I like your style. That's not something I would do. Ah, we'll get a new roof. Let's break the roof. Let's get this done. Peter loved a mosh pit. Peter, a crowd died. Peter doesn't care. He can give a crap and cut off an ear. Jesus can put it back. And look, I, I told Elijah the other day, I said, I hope I set a good example for you. I hope I show you how to treat a woman. I hope I show you how to maneuver through difficult times. I hope I show you. Something about how to seek God, be creative, make friends with your own creativity. Don't let it turn inward. Make sure you use it in service of others. I hope I show you a few things about, uh, about Romanian deadlifts and, and, and Arnold presses and some things you can take with you the rest of your life. I hope I show you some good music like Nirvana Nevermind, other classic gospel albums of the 90s. See, y'all have limitations on genres. I'm telling you, there's some good worship music you hadn't heard yet. Um, but I said, if you if you if you discover something, now listen to this. This is this is something I would say to anybody, but I said it to my, my oldest son. I said, if you see something in me that limits who God has made you to be, don't be loyal to my limitations. And here's the example I gave him. I had a friend who he used to train other preachers how to preach, and they would try to copy him. But they would copy not only the good things that he did, because he was an amazing uh, evangelist, they would even copy his mannerisms that were just incidental or glitchy. One thing in particular, he said they tried to walk like him when they preached. And he said, they were, they were trying to walk like him, not realizing he had a bad back. So they're, they're limping across the stage to be like their mentor, right? And I thought, that's crazy, man. They're imitating your injury. They're seeing you do something, and they are thinking that because you do it, it must be right. So I told Elijah, I said, don't imitate my injury. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I think, this is what I told him, I think that my ceiling can be your floor. 
And I don't mean in a pulpit as a preacher. I'm not limiting my kids that they need to be in the ministry. They are going to be in the ministry. It just might not be my style of ministry. It might not be a pulpit or a preaching or an acoustic guitar. What if one of them leads worship with a trap beat? What if that's what the next wave is of God's of God's anointed holy music in the earth? What if they don't work at a church at all? But what if God uses them a great way in the world? After all, most of the miracles that Jesus did were in the marketplace. Why do we try to confine God to the places that we're most comfortable in? Why do we think that the most important stuff God's going to do is going to be through a preacher? The only point of a pulpit is to empower you for your field. For your field. You need a new roof. You keep banging up on the things that, and here's what happens through life you learn lies and become loyal to them. And then those lies become limits. You can't put khaki pants in a worship song. Well, I did. You can't come in uh, through the roof. Well, we did. And, and I thought about calling this sermon, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> in some cases, because a lot of times we're waiting on somebody else to give us permission. You've got to get certain permission from within. Now, I, I don't mean I don't mean be inappropriate and walk around without your mask talking about Mark II. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I just want to I want to put the thought in your mind about inner permission. It's the inner permission that matters. Go to uh, Corinthians. Let me show you this. Is this good? 1 Corinthians um, 2. Now, this might be too much, but I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, Jesus argued with the scribes about the washing of hands. Um, there's so many things he argued with. In this particular instance, there, there's one difference. Let me illustrate it from, uh, from this 1 Corinthians 2. Go all the way to verse 6. This is about ten verses I want to read you. Do y'all have six? Oh, I only I started later, so I'll read, I'll read you six, and they can put it in later. Okay. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, watch this, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Don't stop at that verse. Verse 10 says something pretty cool. These are the things. What things? The things that no eye has seen. And no ear has heard. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. I'm so glad I have my own Bible, because I would have always thought that 1 Corinthians 2 stopped at verse 9. I heard this verse quoted for years No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. And they'd stop. Verse 10 says, These are the things. Somebody say, These are the things. 
God has revealed to us by his spirit. Put it in the chat. These are the things. These are the things. These are the things. These are the things. Go back to Mark chapter 2 now for a moment. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, here's my verse, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? The power of the Lord is present to heal the sick. And all you want to think about is the limitations of your senses, what you can understand, what you can make sense out of. Why are you thinking these things? Well, I can tell you why they thought those things. They were taught those things. They were taught those things. You were taught how to think about who you are in Christ. You were taught to think about how to you were taught to think about how you function in the world. You were taught to think about your definition of power. You were taught to think about what you can and can't accomplish. And if you've never seen it before, it's hard to believe that it can be. But here in Mark chapter 2, we have Jesus, who is number one, able to see something no one else can see. Did you notice it in the text? It said in verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. How can you see faith? I didn't know you could see faith. I, I never walked up to somebody and said, looks like you've been gaining faith. <laughs> wow, you've lost some faith. Can I pray for you? But he could see faith in the form of the roof that was at his feet because of their action. He saw, watch this, their faith, not the man on the mat, their faith. How many praise God that the right people in your life can lead you to healing? Come on, I mean the right people. The right people who won't give up when they see the crowd. The right people that won't give up on you because you're a little heavy. The right people. And I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. If the right people can get you healed, can the wrong people keep you paralyzed? Some of the greatest limitations we put on ourselves come in the forms of the relationships that have no more purpose to serve in this season of our life. You need a new roof. You need some new relationships. You really do. You need some new people. I found out that, that just, like, just like the men carried their friend to In fact, I always said it was his friends that got him to Jesus, but the Bible never even calls them his friends. It just says they were some men. I don't know if they were friends or if he hired them for the job. It doesn't matter. They got it done. But I'll tell you something. When you circle up with people, who are stuck in a limitation of what God used to do. It is very hard for you to believe that all things are possible. So I give you a challenge today, and you can choose to receive it or you can choose to reject it. That's going to be up to you. But I believe I'm speaking to somebody who's been blocked lately. 
You've heard of writer's block, probably. I've experienced that. There's even preacher's block. I promise you it's a real thing. There's also, there's also peace block, <laughs> joy block. The biggest block in the passage was not the crowd at the door. It was the limitations in the hearts of the scribes who were sitting there thinking to themselves. And so Jesus proved his power over sin. He's like, hmm, if you don't believe that I forgive sin, maybe you'll believe me if this man gets up and walks. It's easier for me to make him walk than it is for me to forgive him because I'll have to die for him to be forgiven. What are the limitations that God is calling me to unlearn? I mean, certain limits are good. All right? The NBA is over. You're 34. You're not going to do it now. It's not going to happen now. Dunk on your son, but it's not going to the professional level. You're not going to get paid for it. But certain things you said, I said this on Easter, and I talked about how we'll even blame it on a personality type. Personalities aren't permanent. Temperaments are given, but personalities aren't. There's, there's no such thing as, I'm just a negative person. There's just negative patterns. What are the limitations that you need to unlearn that, that you received because of lies that you believe? Your limitations were learned. You didn't always just think like that. You didn't just always think, well, you know, if I love anybody, I'm just going to get hurt, so I'll just stay here to myself and I'll just isolate and I'll never really let anybody in because you can't trust them. You learned that. And in Luke chapter 5, I was reading because. Luke puts it a little different. It's the same story, but he said that when Jesus saw the men lower him, he looked at the man and said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. All these years I've been preaching this text, and I said his four friends are the reason he got healed. Put, put Luke 5.20 again. Jesus said to the man, Friend. When the man's friends had taken him as far as they could, he found a friend that had no limitations. And the real beauty of it is that friend lives in you. So, so whatever external limitation it is, I believe God is going to use in your life to reveal to you an internal grace. That is greater than the external limitation. I declare it over your life. I prophesy it over your life. I don't have to scream to prophesy. I'm saying it to you direct, flat footed. Watch me stand here and say it. The limitation is a gift, the external thing serves a purpose in your life to show the greatness of God. Jesus knew that the man needed to be forgiven more than he needed to be healed. He gave him the gift of a limitation to give him the gift that he didn't know he needed. So we have a Jesus who can hear thoughts. Isn't that scary? They didn't even say anything, and he argued with them. A Jesus who can see faith and a God who can forgive sins. 
Let's take a moment today in our lives and do what the men did. Let's put the issues of our life at the feet of Jesus. All he was proving is, I have all authority. There is nothing you can bring into my presence. There is nothing you can say about yourself. There is nothing that you can bring into, into this room, into the presence of God. There is no problem that you can name that is greater than the power of God. So right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of your son Jesus who walked the earth and lived the life that I could not live, the one who died a death on a sinner's cross, the one who in the weakness of flesh demonstrated the strength of God. In that name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I speak to every human frailty. I speak to every sickness. I speak to every disease. I speak to every insecurity. I speak to shame. I speak to deep shame. I speak to secret shame. I speak to fear. I speak to night terrors. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you will rise up above what was holding you and you will demonstrate the authority of the Word of God in your life this day, this week, this moment. You will break through every roof. You will break through every tradition. You will break through every barrier. You will break through every limitation. You will break through every name that has been placed on you. His name is greater. And I speak it over every life. God, we have proof. We have evidence that you forgive and heal we must believe it to be true for us because the greatest block in our life will not be something standing outside the door. It'll be something that grows up in our hearts. So, Lord, right now we bring it all before you. As we ministered today, Lord, we said that there are some things that only your spirit can reveal. Eyes can't see it, ears can't hear it, but your spirit knows it. I pray for your sons and daughters this week that they would be visited by a revelation of who you are and who they are in you. Oh God, if they find that out, they will never be blocked again. We're using this moment to escalate. We want to be transferred to another department. <laughs> We've been down here dealing with some stuff. And we don't need permission from scribes and people. We don't need a pretty entrance. God, we just need a way into your presence. God, you have given us a way in through the sacrifice of your Son. And now we receive your touch in this moment. We thank you for your presence. Right now, I want to give an invitation for somebody to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and receive the grace of God. The Bible says that it is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of works so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. You just heard this message today, and you're paralyzed, not, not physically maybe. It's a spiritual paralysis that sin creates. It's the sense that you can never reach God. It's the sense that you can't keep the law. It's, it's, it's the sense that, that you need the grace of God, and that grace has been made available. There's not, there's not seven steps to this, to getting right with God. There's not all this knowledge that you have to be able to quote. It's as simple as the faith of this man who was positioned 
at the feet of Jesus and forgiven of his sin. And if you would like to receive that forgiveness of your sin, I want to lead you in a prayer right now, and I want to just bring you to Jesus. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. It's going to be a life-changing moment, and we're praying all together out loud as a church family. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Today, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I believe he died for me and rose again to give me life. I receive this new life. This is my new beginning. I am a child of God. On the count of three, if you prayed that, shoot your hand up. One, two, three. In the chat, say, I receive Jesus. Just say it right there in the chat. We want to celebrate with you. Online, I receive Jesus. Come on, I receive Jesus. Not I achieve, I receive Jesus. I receive the grace of God. Well, I pray that you received exactly what you needed from God today. And I pray that this week you'll put your faith into action, right? He told the man, pick up your mat and go home. And that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to take the message that God gave us and apply it in our lives. And I pray that God will give you the faith and the grace to do something this week that you've never done before. Something that's been in you all along. Holly and I love you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving to the ministry. You're amazing. We're always grateful for your partnership in the gospel and for your prayers. It means a lot. We're praying for you. We'll see you next time. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.